Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter, a podcast from The Gist. On today's show, we're talking to Claire Hanna, the SDLP MLA. We chatted to her all about Brexit, the Irish border issue, the breakdown at Stormont, and the DUP dark money scandal. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget you can subscribe to us on Twitter, on Facebook, or you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's get on with the show. So, Claire, thank you for agreeing to, to talk to me. You're, you were the, you're the first MP, or not MP, MLA that I'll get to interview in our series. We're trying to get one from every single political party, but I feel that could be a challenge. Okay. Well, if you give me an easy time, maybe they'll more readily sign up. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I gave... Uh, the other person we've interviewed was... Uh, right at the beginning was Kelly Armstrong hmm. and I think she was expecting a nice little lot of softball questions. And you went all Paxman on it did you? Yeah a little bit. She, she, she had a lot to say about TransLink and I really don't like TransLink. Okay, <laughs> okay. probably so, less to say on that but we'll, we'll <laughs> think of something. That's alright well um, just to give us a good start um, why don't you give us your thoughts on why Stormont is still not up and running? Well um, I suppose there's there's a few issues plumbing it all is Brexit I suppose which is just inserted um, inserted issues around identity and the constitution and allegiance um, very firmly into the middle of politics and the whole point of the Good Friday Agreement was to dial down those issues um, and I suppose the two parties um, in the executive are obviously pulling in very different directions on on um, Brexit which is ironic because about three years ago they were both anti-Europe but um, but but they're pulling in uh, in different directions and I suppose um, with the different um, things they're trying to manage they obviously thought that um, working through those internal tensions was going to be too much effort and it's a disaster because even apart from um, the fact that there is no coherent voice for Northern Ireland, challenging though that would be it's just the loss of the the assembly as a forum for trying to reach a consensus and reach agreement and to build up that trust and to get people out of the kind of stupid positions they might be in they might do that in a in a committee situation when you're listening to three hours of evidence from an expert but you're not going to do it on the nolan program so um i think uh brexit is a big part of it and i suppose um uh Particularly, I suppose, particularly from Sinn Fein's perspective, they just didn't feel that it was rewarding enough for the effort that they were putting in. They felt, you know, the kind of, you know, boring business of government and governance. I think they got the very clear message in the previous two elections that, kind of, you know, um, campaigning and protesting were, were were kind of more electorally lucrative because when you <laughs> when you're making decisions, inevitably you can't bring everybody with you. You know, you have to. Um, um, it's it's a little bit more um, difficult, but yeah, I suppose it, I think it's 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 political opportunism, and it's also um, sort of two decades of rolled over problems that weren't really dealt with after the agreement um, that have all accrued, and um, the too hard pile just got really really big. To what extent do you think that this could be me being very cynical? Mm-hmm. Do you think that the the loss of the petition of concern is is a driving force behind the DUP sort of 
unwillingness to be at the table. I'm not pointing the finger solely at the DUP because sure. Well, well, I, I think I think I mean there's something in that certainly that um, if you had in your back pocket the ability to stop anything you didn't like, that is you know a comfort blanket if you're going into any sort of a government um uh, and i suppose on the on the on the some of the key issues to them they probably feel that they could still cobble together the 30 in terms of um jim allister and maybe some others if they were genuine acute issues around um you know post-conflict issues and, and and potentially around equal marriage but i but i don't think they will i think um just i just get the sense that um the uup mlas know um that they're that it's important not to on that but yes i think that's i think that's part of it i think that's a big issue the dup have had all their own way for the last 10 years and that's a frustration to me because yes the petition of concern and the kind of infrastructure gives them some of that but they were led away with a lot of things and um for much of the last, particularly the last five or six years in the executive when those of us, the, the smaller parties, um, ourselves, Alliance and the Ulster Unionists were um, kind of articulating a lot of the corruption and, and the dysfunction in, in governance. Um, uh, I, I think Sinn Féin probably felt, well, we can deal with this, this ourselves and you've just got sour grapes and the infamous John O'Dowd, so what comment um, <laughs> about, about trying to kind of check some of this madness and it does feel to me um, very clear that at that time the DUP had less than um, a third of the vote, considerably less than a third of the vote, if all of the parties who were opposed to the things they were doing had 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 been working collaboratively against them, I, I don't think they would have been able to get away with some of the stuff they were at, particularly some of the dodgy stuff around RHI and, and Red Sky and so on. So um, I think part of the reason it got so bad because it was because it was allowed to get so bad and that's a frustration but we're, we're somehow framing it that our choices are awful government or no government mm. um, and I think that is sad and that's making a lot of people cynical. Naomi Long has um, been on, on TV more times than I can count discussing the idea of getting the assembly back up and running without an executive to vote on sort of small time matters and mm. to legislate for like on an ad hoc basis just for things that come up in the day-to-day -day running of a country that mm -hmm. really the civil service can or shouldn't have to deal with but is is that realistic is that, is um, that it's like, is it's, that... it's not and i see where, where for the place from which the idea comes and i believe in you know representation and deliberation and, and kind of airing the issues but it would literally be a talking shop in that it <laughs> wouldn't have any mandate and it wouldn't be binding and i, I like in many respects this idea of well, just those of us you know who are who are upward and willing going ahead to one it wouldn't in any way have stability or or as i say democratic legitimacy um, and it, it doesn't fit with the good friday agreement in terms of ensuring you know balanced representation and and so on and the, also the reality and the real politic of even um when those parties had the um uh, when those parties, the, the parties of the centre had the mandate, DUP and Sinn Féin were 
outside screaming in the windows, DUP screaming in the windows, I suppose, in terms of not actively participating. And then Sinn Féin, who in fairness were participating, but just over dragging out um, their, their responsibilities on things like decommissioning. You know, both of those parties kind of poisoned the well, even when even whenever they were peripheral. So when they're sitting with large mandates and, and as I say, in full scale populist mode, um, you know, even discussing the mundane things, um, uh, it, 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 it wouldn't be constructive, but, but quite simply, it, it's, it would be kind of a, a, a talking shop. And, and while there's some value, there's always value in talking, um, it might delay even further um, the re-establishment of, you know, a, a, an actual forum for decision making. What did you make of the Citizens' Assembly idea that was sort of floated? In, yeah. in October, November. Of yeah, last I mean, year. I, I think I believe in anything that can that can move discussion on, and I think if you look at the South and, and kind of that concept of genuinely deliberative um, decision making, when you kind of stare at facts for hours and hours and hours, rather than the sort of what we have at the moment, which is you know theories and assertions and kind of um, ideas. I think it's I think it's a really good idea um, as a supplement to representative democracy, which is something I believe very strongly in. Um, but if it if it can um, if it if it can advance some of the issues and it, it can it can um, have a, a real look at some of the blockers from people who are free from the baggage of bringing people along with you, albeit nobody's probably free from the from the from the baggage of how they view um, issues here. So you know, the citizens' assembly and um, um, you know, civic forum and things like that. Those those are things I'm I'm in favour of. You know, the more democracy, the better in a lot of respects. But again, it isn't a substitute, and and it would be very easy for in the same way as as any politician can dismiss polls that don't you know align to their views it, it would be easy to dismiss um, on, on its own but if you look at for example i think it was queens um put one together around and that very comprehensive um polling that came out about two weeks ago the from the it was done with queens and i think the eu and uk think tank um that that marked the shift uh, even further to remain in Northern Ireland and it kind of looked at attitudes to Irish unity, attitudes to the to the stalemate and it combined, I can't remember the exact methodology, but it combined some quantitative stuff around more traditional polling and then qualitative stuff around what was in effect a citizens assembly mm. that was um, selected to be representative. So and the one it by gets, Dr. John or Professor John, John Gary, Gary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it gets really interesting results and I think um, you know the, that type of the, it informs the conversation, albeit it's not going to be a substitute for I, I believe representative democracy. That's some very fair points. Um, that particular study, actually, mm -hmm. that you mentioned, um, had some some pretty harrowing <laughs> uh, stats on how Catholics in Northern Ireland, and particularly Catholics who supported Sinn Fein would view any sort of customs arrangement at the border whatsoever. Um, I cannot for the life of me remember the MP who it was that brought it up in Parliament about two weeks ago. But they very, just before this, uh, this research came out actually, they sort of quite sensibly pointed out that any cameras would become targets and then they would become guarded cameras and then they would become full on border yeah. posts. Like it would, it, any sort of fixture would become a target and it would eventually escalate to the point you would have to have 
probably armed guards there or something. Yeah. And it kind of, it, it really, really made me think about the DUP position being that they're in that they don't want any differentiation between Northern Ireland and the UK on our future trading relationship with Europe. Why do you think they're not willing to look at the special status? Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the DUP and other kind of Brexiters have basically three mutually incompatible aims here that, you know, the kind of um, constitutional integrity and, and lack of a border within the UK, and we're with them on that, um, and um, kind of no, yeah, no border on the island or between the two islands, um, but controlling our borders, our own trade deals, mm-hmm. and everything to say exactly the same, and it is, it is nonsensical, and I think quite genuinely a lot of people just aren't engaging with the detail, because I suppose when were we ever asked as MLAs to go and negotiate a trade deal, we weren't, you know, it is, it's something that you have to have decided to inform yourself on and sometimes um, you know people don't want to maybe get into the detail of things that 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 challenge their um, challenge their their kind of views on things and I think project blame that's just pin everything that's bad on Brexit on you know Brussels or Dublin or the Remainers or anything except the fact that it's a dreadful idea um, I, I think is an easier uh, an easier kind of course to follow but the thing is and 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 I think it's important to say um, from our perspective we've been very clear you know we don't want a border across the island but we don't want one down the Irish Sea and and I think it would be hypocritical to to and it is hypocritical of those parties who kind of imply that one of them is unbearable but what the other one is okay and while we conceived of the idea of special status while um, an option that is no borders on in, on either axis is on the table and that is single market and customs union um, for, for the whole of both islands. I think we've got to go for that and we go for that um, because special status would discombobulate political unionism. They've made that very clear and I think we've got to hear them. But also it, it would genuinely affect trade um, you know, on an east-west basis for, from, from businesses in the north and businesses in the south. And as I say, as a, as a Europhile, as somebody who wants the European Union um, to work, I want the single market to be as large and coherent as it, as it can be. Mm. Um, so yes, the kind of um, special status is the lifeboat and that's um, if, if it does, if we do seriously crash out and go wrong, then delighted we will be to have it and there will be many advantages to it. Um, but to me, I still think it's worth fighting for and I think it's still plausible um, to have a kind of a, a whole UK um, solution because there, there, there are enough MPs who I think want it, but the problem is there are a lot of people who think something will come up and you know this isn't like a normal negotiation where failure is the status quo, failure is catastrophe here, but I think a lot of people haven't got their head around this. They think that if the talks fail and um, you know this, the, everything fails, then we'll just have the status quo and maybe we will maybe in terms no, of no transition forever. Yeah, what a nonsense. And again, it's kind of glib little phrases like that that, that are fueling this whole insane episode of Brexit. Um, over over two years where just the quality of politics and democracy has become so eroded that people literally, like I would occasionally, whether it's in a debate or an interview, I might accidentally stumble over a fact where I tell you like it's 52% and it's 51% and that'll keep me awake at night because like, oh, oh my goodness, I'm misinforming people. But there are a lot of politicians who literally spoof 
go out and, and, and repeat untruths that they know to be wrong time and time again, including some of this myth-making around the border, that there would only be a border if, if the EU puts one lie, um, you know, that, <laughs> that we won't need a border because, you know, the, the goods are uh, alignment isn't really a thing, lie, you know, people who just, who must know, who aren't stupid, who mm. must know that they're wrong, but it doesn't cost them a second thought to go out and spoof. I do often wonder whether it's willful ignorance or just... I think it's a combination or, or of both. Malice. But I think at this point, most of the decision makers... I think it is. I mean, it's really complex. Like I, I, I've kind of... I've been immersed in Brexit for the last couple of years. And I still, if you... Sometimes if you kind of take a couple of days doing something else it's hard to get back into it because it's kind of moving simultaneously very quickly and very slowly um and you know as i say it doesn't you know it doesn't naturally um come to you have no experience in negotiating trade deals and understanding the difference between single markets and customs unions and regulatory alignments and so on but there are a lot of people whose job it is to understand who can't pretend who can't it's not ignorance anymore mm. and it's important that we don't demonize voters including voters in britain who how could they have been expected a lot of people here haven't got their head around um some of the issues and they are you know about trade and about the movement of stuff but they are some of the more touchy-feely things as well about mm. identity and, and community and aspiration and all of those things how can we expect um, voters in Britain to have picked up on those nuances but the fact is there's a lot of politicians whose full-time job it is to pick up on those um, nuances and they have no excuse for not doing so. Mm. Well, I guess it's kind of it's really thrust the constitutional question of identity like right back into the fore and in a way that when I, I used to sort of talk about it in GCSE or A-level politics when I was at school and it was just about, well, it's not going to happen anytime soon. We're not going to have a border port. It might happen in 20 years' time, but now all of a sudden there's there's Peter Robinson um, putting forward, putting it forward as, as like a, a generational border pole idea and I think it's, it would have to be on a rolling basis anyway once it happens once it has to be every seven no, years. No there's actually a bit of a misunderstanding on that it's 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 as I read it the legislation says once you've had one there can't be another one within seven years rather mm. than a kind of a rolling have to okay. and a lot of people say oh once and I know Jim Allister and I have debated this point where he he interprets it as um you know there, but I, I think it's pretty clear you can't have one in less than seven years but you don't have to keep having them albeit you know, once the ball is rolling, the ball is rolling, and the ball is rolling in a lot of respects. And I think, um, you know, for for those at the kind of very moderate end of nationalism, who were prepared, who who were kind of very comfortable in our Irishness, and I'm talking about myself here, um, uh, but were prepared to spend, you know, the next number of years and the next potentially number of decades your political project was was making northern ireland work it was around reconciliation it was around um making the economy fit for purpose with a view to integrating it with the economy in the south but you were kind of putting it in that order but the comfort blanket of being in the uk when it was you know more tolerant it was outward looking you you had your shared european membership it was broadly social democratic and its uh, approach you know you could live with it but that comfort blanket was taken away by brexit and there was just a real two fingers to, <laughs> to, to people of the identity that i have that you know the principle of consent isn't just about the consent to be in the uk i think to an extent it was the ex the consent to what type of northern ireland we would we would be uh, one to be in but just this really um dismissive uh, majoritarianism that well Britain voted for it so you're going and, and, and get over it that has really um, 
I really unnerve people but I come back all the time to John Hume as I do on most questions it's not <laughs> the territory um, that needs to be united it's the people and Brexit has done not one thing to unite people so you know all of those issues around reconciliation and again all of those issues around unifying you know the infrastructure and the systems on the island hasn't been done we haven't done the work and the Brexiters were were crass in their let's ask a massive question with a with a binary yes no answer and let's work out all the details afterwards and i don't <laughs> think irish nationalism should follow them in that respect oh let's let's have a big big divisive um poll and then we'll work out the details i think <laughs> we should always see the border poll as kind of one of the last pieces of the jigsaw you know you've got the frames you've, you've developed the picture and then the border poll is kind of asking people well look here we have two economies that look a bit more like each other here we have sharing around health and education here we have harmonized um you know a lot of our social policy doesn't this make sense rather than kind of you know where we're going we don't need roads just just give us your <laughs> give us your vote and we'll work out the detail which would really um which which would create i mean if you look at the uncertainty the one thing that i did agree with peter robinson if you look at the kind of um the dynamic um that brexit has inserted into politics and you know multiply that by what factor um when, when you're talking about a border poll but i just i just think he totally misses the point if you just were asking about peter robinson there um rather than st it's still failing to grasp that they should should have been trying to present some version of you know a northern ireland in the uk that was comfortable um to 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 people that didn't share their identity but instead he's just trying to move the goalposts on the mechanics and it's just mm. total failure of leadership i do kind of feel like they're missing a trick and it's just like a not a half-baked theory it's something i've thought like a reasonable amount about but in in a way if i were the dup I would be getting that Irish border poll out of the way faster than you could say Brexit. <laughs> because in my mind, the longer the, the longer the Northern Irish project goes on, the the more chance there is that we're eventually gonna become part of a United Ireland. Whether that's in ten years or whether that's in fifty is probably gonna happen. As the population changes, as sort of well, if if things continue to go the way that they look like they're going, that Britain becomes a bit more isolationist, they might even lose Scotland um, in a decade's time or less. And that I would be going to say, right, okay, look, you know, we're going to have this border poll now, and then it's off the table for a while, and and that at least gives them like the the breathing room. Well, I, I wouldn't really follow that logic because it doesn't take it off the table, if you know what I mean. It, mm. it only takes it off the table for maximum seven years, which is the blink of an eye, really, in, 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 in a lot of respects. And kind of, you know, once it's there, it's there. You know, people are working um, towards it. It just changes the dynamic. And I suppose, I think unionism probably does. does it, it is that failure to have made a coherent case for the union, which is actually ironic because there are things i always you know there's things that there's things that they could sell to people like me you know they could they can sell the nhs yeah, they can sell the bbc like they can sell you know a lot of the cultural stuff but they keep trying to sell me 
you know, the monarchy and the military and flags and stuff, I'm just not interested in. So, but um, um, I think there is just in, in a lot of unionism, just a lack of imagination for the case that they would have to put. And um, so I, I wouldn't follow your logic from their perspective. It doesn't make any sense because it's not putting it out of the way, if you know what I mean. But if, if they were serious, what they should have been doing is, as I say, trying to trying to make it somewhere that people like me who 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 are Irish and, and I suppose this is the thing I've never felt the need to get permission to be Irish off the DUP I've never felt that their hardline views affect my identity you, mean you didn't write them a letter at 15 well this is ask. the thing I think there's a I think there's a sort of a perception that you know you know we can't be Irish because the DUP are breathing down our necks I don't know I just have a different and I suppose I I'm I was born in Galway I'm married to a dub I you know have quite a cross-border enough existence and maybe that just gives me a bit of confidence about about um about it but um you know I wouldn't ever you know I don't I don't feel the need for the DUP to consent to my Irishness or my speaking Irish or anything like that but um so yeah I suppose they just lazily don't want to have to acknowledge that that I think it is a failure, particularly from the DUP's perspective, a failure just to understand that there are people who don't think the same way as they do on, you know, on these issues of identity. And I suppose it's so that speech that Arlene Foster gave a couple of weeks ago at um, an event. It was a really bonkers speech in a lot of ways, but it kind of finished with a, a couple of lines along the along the the gist of which was, um, well, of course people will stay in the union because. Why would you ever do anything else? Because we're so it's so it's so innately part of who we are, and it was just that failure to understand. If you're only pitched the union is that people will have this instinctive innate loyalty, it's just a failure to grasp that that isn't in everybody else. So people people are entitled to be kind of transactional about it mm. and and kind of look at what's best for their family in terms of standards of living but they just it's just they just this belief that enough people will feel it in their hearts mm. you know feel loyalty and, and will vote that way and and just a lack of pragmatism to accept that not everybody does feel that way and you're going to have to make a more reasonable pitch it wouldn't even it wouldn't even need they wouldn't even need to appeal to that many people with that argument because given the way the population split about was it 55 45 at, the, at this point yeah um, i mean bear in mind i think there's a danger in some of the demographic stuff mm. um and you know polling would bear that out but people are instinctively i think if it was i mean if you look at all the polling a lot of people go yeah you know that uh, you know irish unity is an aspiration that i have it is that kind of really messy bit in the middle that i think um you know puts you know gives people fear and the whole point was we were supposed to detoxify the issue of constitution and the issue of sovereignty change and the good friday agreement was supposed to provide the forum where we could each make our pitch to each other and just say look we have 95 percent of these issues in common but you know here's how i think i can accommodate you know these these differences in our identity and and those of us who believe in irish unity persuading those who don't and those who believe in the union persuading those of us who don't if you know what I mean but we didn't we picked the wound for 20 years <laughs> and we scratched and we poked and and we haven't really shifted that many minds it's it's ironic that Brexit has moved so much more of the population than anything that nationalism and I include myself in that did over many years you know because we weren't you know we were letting demographics do the work and and, and now you know if you look at the, 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 the substantial vote to remain. There's, it, it's completely disingenuous to peg those people as United Irelanders, but they are mm. pragmatic people who were able to overcome kind of, 
leaflets with Union Jacks on them and stuff and, and kind of think about um, the logistics and the, and, and, and the practicality. So, um, yeah, just a, a, a lot going, I just a, 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 a failure as always here to really get into the shoes of, of, of the other side, so to speak, and kind of understand what they want mm. and, and try and reflect that in the offering you're making. It's fair, like as, a, as someone who would remain and um, would probably like to remain in the union um, within the UK, the if Brexit goes horrendously, then I would be immediately forced to like reconsider well, like my, my thoughts on it. Like, well, absolutely. I think that's really. I think that's that's completely rational. That um, and I think there are a lot of people in that category that you're in. Um, um, because I mean, to, I mean, I'm. I'm, I'm lie i've always been just a big fan of 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 the european union in terms of you know the concept of of transnational relationships and supranational decision making and the fact that most of the a lot of the things that affect our lives do not stop at borders you know whether it's climate change or crime or trade or whatever but just that concept and i think hume saw it again in the early 70s that you know it 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 is a forum for shared endeavor. Your Irishness and your Britishness are less important than your, you know, it, it, you can you can fade them to the background. And by all means, they're still a big part of you. You know, the French and the German and the Austrians, they're no less French or German or Austrian, yeah. and they don't have these kind of crises uh, of, of identity, but- um, The Austrians the are, they, 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 it's a weird, really weird Well, situation. there's a kind <laughs> of a, there's a thread there of a politics that I wouldn't be as keen on um, there, but it's, it is exactly that. It's kind of the dynamic has changed around Irish unity. It isn't the way that, you know, the misty, fiddly D fourth green field crop that nationalism has been pushing for a lot of years. It is, you know, that is the modern economy. That is your gateway to Europe. And that has dramatically changed the dynamic um, in any in any unity debate. But like I say, all of the challenges that existed on the 22nd of June 2016 around reconciliation, around allaying the fears of unionism, around the fact that we have two very different economies. One, the fastest growing probably in Europe in the south um, and one and, and very open and ours that is very closed, very public sector dependent um, and just sluggish. But but none of those problems have been fixed by Brexit. And as I say, we haven't united people on it. So it hasn't, mm. it hasn't, you know, really, really, really changed. Uh, it's changed the dynamics, but it hasn't changed the fundamentals. What do you make of the DP sort of dark money scandal I just think it's on. dodgy as heck and I think that the dismissals uh, and I saw something I think I was referring to this about yeah okay okay the, the dismissals yeah we're better better wrap up the, the dismissals oh, the sorry sorry again kind of right. go, yeah. um I, I just think it was it was dodgy as heck and I think some of the dismissals that you know how could we be expected to to track all these donations you know we're not talking about well, it, um, a tenner for a raffle ticket at a barbecue here we're talking about Serious money, sorry. Jeffrey Donaldson says he knows who, who gave it to him. Well, this is the thing. It's one <laughs> thing, you know, they know, yeah, and we've been told it's this whatever constitutional research group. Oh, well, no, they, uh, from, he knows from what the I inferred, he, he, from what, what I sort of got from the statements I've seen him make on it, he knows who was behind, who was the original donor. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they do. And, and, and maybe there's a reason they don't want that to get into the public domain. But even if it was from a permissible source, it's such a distorting amount of money when you look at 
if you look at the accounts of any of the parties in terms of the money um, that any of the parties turn over and that run their entire operation, this dwarfs it. Mm. Um, and the fact that it was so clearly, and, and a lot of the stuff that's come out, it was so clearly being funneled through the DUP as a way to subvert the democratic process in Britain in terms of allowing um, additional coverage, you know, buying that wraparound ad because everybody else had had you know, broke the bank in, in terms of their spending and spending limits are there for a reason so that we don't have, you know, um, money buys elections type uh, type scenario. So it was so obviously distorting in both of those senses in terms of the amount of money that normally moves around politics here. And, um, and by the way, I think, you know, there's another political party that has an endless war chest on this island. And I do think it, it subverts democracy a little bit when there isn't a quality of arms, when some parties have limitless resources in terms of staff time. And yes, you can go, well, that's capitalism or whatever. But, you know, I just don't think we want to get to the US style of politics where if you've got the dosh, you'll, 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 you'll get the job sort of thing. But yeah, I just think it's... Um, it's, it's distorting and again the DUP's failure to grasp why people are concerned about this is, um, is, is, is very typical of them and is worrying and just that um, it's, it's, it's coming through in, in some of the testimony from the RHI inquiry and it came through in their attitude to this like gosh do you expect me to be across everything you know 400 pound 400,000 pound donation tens of thousands of pounds in boilers jeez jeez I can't dot all the i's and cross the t's it's just a real for people who zoom in on the minest minor details around identity to, have, to be so casual mm. about um about issues of big money is worrying mm. couldn't agree more yeah Writing a book about it. Yeah. Oh, are you really okay? Yeah. Yeah. It was there any other ones that you wanted just to get in quickly? I'm really sorry. I just there's just so much um, today. I'm gonna have to go some some quick fire ones. Sure. You did international relations at, at university. If I'm if I'm right. Ah uh, yes, I did at the Open University. Yep. So what did you make of Korea at the moment with the the peace talks going on? Yeah, I find I, I like I actually found I find the start of it pretty terrifying. I mean, how close. <laughs> you can be to nuclear meltdown because a couple of testosterone heads um, in North Korea and the US, you know, were trying to um, jockey in, in that respect. Um, uh, it was, by the way, I mean, I was working, I worked in international development for about 10 years and as a year, so, so those were more the focus uh, for me around the European institutions and, and development um, when I studied, which was, in my late twenties, when I went back to the university, oh, the Open University, because I I took a year out after school, which turned into ten, because <laughs> I had nothing to learn. I knew everything, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I did couple, I I found that 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 period of sort of um, almost will they won't they on 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 nuclear war pretty pretty alarming actually. Southport did a great bit on it. They just had their Trump character just like going. It didn't even seem like it was that far a stretch. Yeah. They had them tweeting like, I can't believe Kim Jong Dong would insult me. Yeah. <laughs> I thought actually. It wasn't really that far. When we're North and South Korea had the talks and the Ulster Fry did a good bit, you know, it's bad when um, North and South Korea's leaders are meeting more than Northern Ireland's leaders. You know, but, um, <laughs> the, the, the fact that if they could, if they could have a, a, a warm handshake. Good. Well, anyway, thank you very much. No problem. Um, Sorry, I have to rush off. It's it, it just ended up being a, a Brexity day. Quite often, you just um, you don't know when um, Brexit has a way of uh, 
well, I kind of did know that we did know these votes were coming, but something something drops in and changes the dynamic, and you're little two days fun to parliament to watch and then yep, exactly. Aaron Banks and Dominic Cummings in front of uh, Aaron the Aaron Banks is he going? I thought he'd said no. He said no and then he said yes and then they were like well you gotta come we're gonna Thanks compel very much you for and then I think he's enjoyed the show. Okay. Don't oh forget, my goodness. follow us on Twitter or on Facebook and you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next time thanks for listening.